Welcome to Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Poling. My name is Pat Poling. I'm the founder and CEO of Mara Poling. Happy to be with you again this week for kind of a catch-all session, and that is 10 questions and answers in 10 minutes. We'll see if I can get it all done in 10 minutes or not. Uh, we love hearing from you all, uh, love getting the emails and the phone calls, and happy to answer any questions you have. Today, I just grabbed 10 questions that have come up in the last maybe month or so from listeners and thought we'd run through them together. If you have questions, you are free to email me at pat at marapoling.com, M-A-R-A-P-O-L-I-N-G.com. And of course, you can always swing by marapoling.com check out the Learning Center and all the great additional educational content there. We're getting in the latter part of 2021. We're working on our 2022 webinar series and uh, hope to have that announced here in the next maybe 30 days or so. All right, so with that, let's get to uh, Q&A and we're gonna see how well I can do. I'm starting the timer. All right, the first question I've got is, how is defeasance different than a prepayment penalty? Uh, defeasance falls under the umbrella of a prepayment penalty, but it is different in that a prepayment penalty uh, itself uh, is often expressed as just X percent of the loan balance. Uh, maybe it's an exit fee, uh, like 1% of the loan balance. Uh, it could also be just X percent times the number of years that are remaining on the term. Something relatively simple like that. Defeasance, and sometimes it's referred to as yield maintenance, essentially is a calculation that says the lender was going to make X amount of money between that point in time and the end of the loan. They need to make that much money. How much do you need to give them such that it could be invested at prevailing rates and generate the same return for them over that period of time? And uh, when you look at the actual calculations in the loans, your head will spin. So there's a website called Defees with Ease that is a great tool to use to, one, just get some estimates. Uh, and they're also great folks in terms of being able to help uh, address some of those issues. All right. What is a return waterfall? If you have invested in a syndication, you have most likely seen a return waterfall. It may or may not have been called that, um, but that's what it was. A return waterfall is the sequence of payouts in which returns are generated and paid out to members. So, for example, the total return fund, we have a preferred return, meaning that the first dollars that our fund generates go to members until they earn that preferred return. Once that occurs, the next round of money that gets generated goes to give all the members back the money that they paid into the fund to become members. Only after those two things have happened, the first two steps in the waterfall, do myself and my partners get an opportunity to share in the success that we've created in which we earn what can be sometimes referred to as a promote or you'll more typically hear it called a carried interest. But again, that comes as the third step in the waterfall. 
If you have a syndication that you're a part of, it's probably not called that in the private placement memorandum, but you could always talk to your sponsor. If you happen to be a member of our fund and have questions about the return waterfall, the specifics of it, happy to go through that with you. Okay, next. How is it none of the new construction going on right now is Class B? So if we've ever said that with an absolute <laughs> statement, uh, that's incorrect. Obviously, there is some new development that's Class B on a national basis. In the markets that we're active in, it is essentially zero. Now, when I say essentially, what that means is there is some new development that takes place in this Class B space. In our experience, it is not market rate Class B, meaning these are subsidized projects that have some uh, funding or tax incentives or something else provided by local jurisdictions, local municipalities, in return for charging rents that are not market. It's one way that uh, the society, these markets in particular, are addressing the housing shortage, the issue around affordable housing. I think it's a great idea. We're not great investors in that space. We don't have any experience there, so we don't invest in that space. We really look at market class B as uh, the Goldilocks class uh, to be in. So is there some? Yes. Is it affecting the supply of market-based class B? No, it's not. All right, next. Is it too late for me to get in on the multifamily boom? My guess is you could have asked that question 10 years ago. You could have asked it five years ago. And I think you'll be able to ask that question five years from now. Now, whether or not boom, and that's the listener who asked me that question, that's their word, whether the uh, success of multifamily investing will continue in perpetuity or not, I don't know. What I do know is this, is the underpinnings of what have made multifamily a successful sector to invest in aren't changing anytime soon. And that has to do with the supply and demand of uh, properties, in particular, again, the Class B assets that we look at, the growth in the population, the growth in rental households, the growth in income in those uh, areas and the fact that again we are dealing with an almost stagnant uh, inventory in the Class B space. Add to that that the cost of new construction still exceeds by a considerable amount the cost of acquisition and improvement of existing assets and what we have is a scenario where until such time it's economically viable to build new units we aren't going to see that. And if we don't see that, then what we're going to see is the continued significant movement in rents and NOI growth in the Class B space. Which leads into the next question. When will rent growth return to a more normal rate? So certainly our experience was during COVID, during the uh, recession, or the at least the initial portion of the recession, uh, we focused on occupancy, and I believe that's pretty true for most investors. We were not focused on driving revenue. We wanted to keep the properties full and work with tenants to do the best job we could on collections. As that has subsided, as people have returned 
to work. As the economy has recovered and continues to move in that direction, we have been able to return to rent growth. As rents have grown, occupancies have not fallen. That's not just true for our portfolio. It is true for many that we uh, look at in the marketplace. Based on that, that's the market telling us that the rents need to continue to move before we get to some point of equilibrium. Will that stop at some point in time? Yes, I fully expect that we will return to a more normal pace where we will see rents. For example, we forecast rent movement not from improvements, not from any other activity, at around 3% a year. Rents are absolutely moving more than 3% a year. And if you are making improvements, significantly more than 3%. Will it return to 3%? Certainly. And we, because we're conservative in our forecasting, we believe that's going to happen fairly soon. That sometime maybe in 2022, we'll see a return to a more normal pace. Is that going to happen? It certainly could not happen, right? It could stay at this uh, more aggressive pace that it's at right now. Time will tell. All right, which is better, single-family rentals or commercial multifamily? So let's just deal with a couple definitions real quick. A single-family rental is what it sounds like. It's a house, right? Could be a condominium but or a townhome, but generally it's a single-family residence that is being rented out uh, in the uh, marketplace. From a one-unit property like that, up to four units is considered residential. When you get to five and above, it's considered commercial. We look at commercial really starting at around 100 units. And those spaces in between, the 20 plexes and 40 plexes and so on, those are absolutely commercial multifamily. They're really challenging to manage uh, from our standpoint, because it's difficult to make the math work to have on-site management. We really think properties perform really well with on-site management, which is why we look at that 100 and above uh, kind of space uh, to start with. Which is better? Depends what you're doing. If you're looking to be a passive investor, I would expect that you'll probably find more opportunity and better returns in a 100 unit plus individual syndication or something like our total return fund. If you're building your own portfolio and have modest funds available to you, then single family duplexes, the residential space is probably the space that makes the most sense. They're both good places to have money and to participate in multifamily. Whichever one is the right fit for you is the right fit for you. Okay, next, how do I become an accredited investor? Well, one, you may already be accredited uh, or meet those standards. If you want to find out, shoot me an email, give me a phone call. We're happy to take you through the process and uh, actually get you an accreditation letter so that you can say, I'm accredited, which then opens the doors to being able to invest in a number of different investment vehicles. Again, like our total return fund or other syndications that we may offer from time to time. The definition of accredited, and this is set by the SEC, it's not an industry definition, it's set by the SEC, and it includes, I don't know, at least a dozen ways, if not more, to become accredited. Some of that can be uh, by having certain securities licenses. Uh, some of it comes from, uh, for example, for a trust or another kind of entity, having a, a net worth maybe of $5 million or something in that range. There's a whole list of those items. 
generally speaking, if one of you listening out there, you're most likely going to be accredited either by net worth or by income. Net worth is a million dollars, and that's exclusive of any equity you have in your primary residence. And the net, pardon me, the income side is an income of two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars a year for either an individual uh, or a, a couple, a two earner uh, family. Um, and that that's not only occurred in the past, but there's reason to believe that that's going to continue in the future. That accreditation needs to be done by an independent third party. So we don't do accreditations. We have a firm that we work with that does that work for us. And then they send me a nice letter saying uh, Mr. and Mrs. John Smith or whoever it is uh, are in fact accredited. And then that's good for 90 days. So if you're looking at making investments in which you need to be accredited, um, you want to talk to that sponsor. If it's us, you want to talk to us uh, and have that conversation about how that might work. If you're not sure, if you think you're close, always makes sense to go through the process and see if, in fact, you are. Okay, next. Why not Class C? We like Class C. I actually think investing in Class C is not a bad decision. There are lots of opportunities to get good returns in Class C multifamily. There is more risk in Class C relative to Class B. And it's because B is bookended by A and C. C's don't really have any foundational support beneath them. There aren't people moving up into class C's. Class C's are very value-oriented properties. These are properties with tenants that are fixed on a price point, right? That that's the true value for them. There's, it's not amenity-driven. It's, I need a place to live. I've got a certain amount of money I want to spend every month. Might be an amount I can spend. Might be an amount I simply choose to spend. And therefore, I want to hit a certain budget. Class C's are great for generating cash flow. Not as uh, good as Class B's in generating equity growth, which is why Class B gives you more of that blended uh, return. Will we, Mara Poling, ever offer some Class C investments? It's possible. I don't believe that that fits with what our current clientele are looking for. So today we don't offer class C's, but, uh, you know, never say never. Right. OK, uh, next, how much multifamily is enough and how much is too much? Well, that's obviously a purely personal question. We believe everyone ought to have some commercial real estate, in particular, some multifamily real estate in their investment portfolio. Should that be 5% of their investment portfolio? Should it be 50% of their investment portfolio? That is a personal decision. Because multifamily can function like a fixed income, bond-like kind of investment, meaning the cash that's generated uh, looks like fixed income, uh, and it also can function like an equity because of the equity growth that we experience, it really can fit in either one of those uh, categories when you're doing a traditional asset allocation. We favor actually simply adding another category. So in addition to things like commodities and cash and uh, a range of equities and then a range of bonds or fixed income instruments, add another category called commercial real estate and then determine what the correct amount is that you would, would like to have um, there. 
Final question. Do you invest in other assets besides multifamily? So the answer today is no. In the past, yes. Prior to forming Mara Polling, Bill and I had an investment firm in which we invested uh, almost exclusively in industrial assets. This was infrastructure uh, projects, communications infrastructure, data centers, alternative energy, power plants, even some outdoor uh, advertising, uh, a whole range of uh, investments of assets, real estate assets that were industrial in nature. Industrials are still really good places to invest. If I was looking to have a secure return and willing to give up some of the upside that you might see in multifamily, then industrials could be something to add to a portfolio. Uh, some of the others that many of you are in already are things like uh, self-storage, right? Self-storage has been very popular. Uh, mobile home parks have, have been very popular. We are not currently invested in retail or hospitality, although we've had experience with retail in the past, not with hospitality. Uh, some of our team has, but not, uh, not us uh, directly. Um, and right now, we have no plans to expand beyond multifamily. As I said, we do not see any of the underlying conditions changing over the timeframes that we forecast right now that really make multifamily different in terms of its attractiveness than it is today. So there we go. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And okay, I think I probably came in around 14 or 15 minutes. So uh, a little bit long. I hope I answered maybe one of your questions uh, when I uh, ran through that list. If you have a question that I didn't address, feel free to email me, pat at marapolling.com. I'm happy to answer your question directly. Uh, I may put it on a list like this and then use it the next time we do one of these Q&A sessions. Uh, please, like I said, swing by the website, marapolling.com, and join us next week for another episode of Multifamily Real Estate Investing, presented by Mara Polling.